Hey, pull up a chair. Attacks on Tap with David Axelrod and Mike Murphy. Because he hasn't taken any cognitive tests because he couldn't pass one. I actually took one when I, uh, very recently, when I, uh, when I was, you know, the radical left was saying, is he all there? Is he all there? And I proved I was all there because I, I aced it. I aced the test. And he should take the same exact test, a very standard test. I took, took it at Walter Reed uh, Medical Center uh, in front of doctors, and they were very surprised. They said, that's an unbelievable thing. Rarely does anybody do what you just did. But he should take that same test. Well, I think he just took the test and failed it. <laughs> I think we just heard heard what I would be in my white lab coat looking at my colleague thinking, okay, let's get no, the No, I think, scan. listen, listen. I think, Mike Murphy, that uh, he was, you know, this was an instance in which the president absolutely told the truth. I'm sure the doctors <laughs> did say, I don't think anybody's ever done that before. But <laughs> We can just skip to the commitment papers right speaking now. Speaking of a, so guy who do we have, great, who do we a guy with great mental acuity. Uh, <laughs> Our old buddy Mark McKinnon from the circus is on board with us today. So, uh, Mac the Knife, good to see you. Hello, fellow hackaroos. How are you doing? <laughs> good, oh, good, thank good. you. Thank you for using our new word. We're gonna we're gonna start with t-shirts and coffee mugs. Soon. <laughs> we're pushing the hacker. You're always thing. thinking about merchandising, man. It's a- <laughs> well, I know we're gonna see those acuity tests right after the tax audit's complete. That's right. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. And there'd be a huge deduction for mental health care, so it all come together <laughs> in a big unified field theory that explains everything. One test we know that he's not passing right now is the COVID-19 administration test. We've got a raging inferno of virus uh, in parts of this country. And in the midst of this, the president has decided to declare war on Anthony Fauci, the epidemiologist, the the infectious disease expert, national uh, treasure, 40 years in his job leading these efforts for for the country. Let's just have to play this. The president's comments yesterday. President Trump today downplaying the rift. I have a very good relationship with Dr. Fauci. I've had for a long time, right from the beginning. I find him to be a very nice person. I don't always agree with him. Fauci no longer briefs the president and hasn't spoken to him in more than a month. In recent weeks, Fauci has become increasingly vocal about the country's coronavirus response. As a country, when you compare us to other countries, I don't think you can say we're doing great. It's not. Well, I think we are in a good place. I disagree with him. So, guys, <laughs> what do you make of of that and what is this the first of all what is it about trump that always why does he always have to preface everything every time he attacks somebody who he was once associated with he says they're a nice guy but as if being a nice guy is a bad thing you know it's the (laughs) trumpy thing he when in doubt he always sounds like a bad comic in vegas in the 60s you know with the <laughs> setup is always you know i love the romanian people you gotta love the romanian people let me tell you about the romanian and, you know it's just his weird weird set part of the cognitive test we just heard him fail uh, but this fauci thing first fauci goes into the you know the staff has to hide him because he the truth keeps breaking out and the president being a toddler doesn't like that then they go out and try an oppo number on him to set up a firing. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah and now he's back because they're afraid to do that because, as you say, we're in an inferno of incompetence letting a biological inferno run wild. And so they're kind of stuck with him. But I, I think, tragically, 
I, I don't think it's sustainable because Fauci, to his credit, is telling the truth. The truth is awful. Trump can't handle the truth. So collision coming, I believe. So he's the one guy in the administration with utmost credibility and respect, you know, across the board. I was trying to figure out what the analogy would be. It'd be like, it'd be like you're in the Super Bowl at halftime with Tom Brady and you're down and Belichick does an oppo dump to the press and the opposing coach about, you know, Brady's got a tendon problem. <laughs> Just go for his tendon. <laughs> No, it's uh, well, the other thing is you mentioned the oppo dump, you know, on Saturday, the president said on Fox on Friday that, uh, you know, Fauci's made a lot of mistakes. People said, what mistakes? And so they released this essentially an oppo dump and taking quotes out of context uh, to try and make look Fau uh, Fauci look bad, which really makes the president's comment about how we've got a very good relationship. He's a nice guy look all the more crazy uh, because, you know, you have to think if he dumps oppo on people who he likes and who's a, who are really nice people, what does he do to people he doesn't like? Yeah, yeah. Our friend uh, Mike Gerson, you know, who I think yeah. is, I call him the, the conscience of the Bush administration. Yes. Yeah, yeah and, and he's so articulate about this kind of stuff. He was talking, talking about Fauci in a column today. And, he's, and, and this is about the whole issue of, you know, the fact that Fauci, you know, he hasn't been right the whole time. But he said, in an inch deep world of politics, amending your view based on new information is a flip flop. In epidemiology, it's known as, well, epidemiology. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. What do you think the politics are now? The president is in full flight here. He doesn't he, he does not acknowledge that this this is a resurgence. He says we're doing great. You heard him in that clip. And the country doesn't believe that. And the place where it's most, uh, where, where the problem has flared up the most are those states where governors followed the president's lead early and opened up early, uh, or most states. And, uh, you know, it, it just seems, sometimes, you know, I do wonder uh, whether this guy wants to win re-election. Well, you know, that, that's kind of, that's the Carville theory that, you know, maybe he's trying to tank himself. I, I don't know if he's kind of capable of that sort of inter introspection. I, We talked a lot early. I remember pounding on this, that th this thing was going to move out of the dense Democratic urban centers yeah, into, we did. In, into red America. And that that's what's happening now. And I think that has taken Trump by surprise. So he reminds me of the uh, years ago, I used to do some scuba diving. They always said, yeah, careful of the cracks because, you know, you don't want a moray eel which has double teeth looking inward. So every time you wiggle your hand, the thing gets up your arm, father, you know, and that's Trump and COVID. He's trying to shake it off and it's, he's making it worse. Um, and, but now the playing field is more his world. Did you say that you were a scuba diver? Uh, naughty and potty, pal. I was no kidding. Once upon a time. <laughs> really? Yep. Yep. I'm an international man of mystery acts. You have no idea many of the, the secret lives I'm just I play. Think but... What the fish must th uh, must have thought when they saw <laughs> you coming? Uh, they ran, uh, except for the moray eel. To my to my creepy metaphor here of Trump. But as he like quicksand or anything else, his motion is to escape is making it worse. So it's a compounding deal, and every day the clock ticks. So the power of the politics of you know just fire Trump, which have always been there get bigger and biden you know can just kind of float above so everything's working for joe if he can just sustain this though the country's paying a hell of a price the mantra that i that stuns me that he keeps going back to that's that's just so obviously uh crazy is this notion that he keeps saying well, the reason we have a problem is because we have too many tests 
you know, and, and our friend Stuart Stevens says that's like saying we have an obesity problem because we have scales. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Yeah, if we just didn't have those pregnancy tests, we'd have fewer kids. Yeah, yeah. We, we all know wet streets cause rain. <laughs> yes, yes. Exactly. No, but I, but that is their story, and they're sticking to it. You mentioned Biden. Biden debuted a limited uh, ad in uh, in Texas and Florida and Arizona, a few of the states that are hard hit. Let's listen to a little bit of that. I'm thinking of all of you today across Texas. I know the rise in case numbers is causing fear and apprehension. People are frightened. And they're especially worried about their parents, their grandparents, their loved ones who are most at risk. This virus is tough, but Texas is tougher. We can stop the spread, but it's up to all of us to do it. We have to step up and do both the simple things and the hard things to keep our families and our neighbors safe. Wear a mask, wash your hands, stay home if you can, and socially distance when you go out. I want every single American to know, if you're sick, if you're struggling, if you're worried about how you're going to get through the day, I will not abandon you. We're all in this together. We'll fight this together. And together, we'll emerge from this stronger than we were before we began. I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message. So there's Biden playing president of the United States, the president that people uh, or, or the role that they wish that the president would play right now. Um, I thought there's Cle- a big problem with that ad, David. What's that? <laughs> big. There's a big problem. The message is great. The place he's playing is the problem. He should yeah. be spending a dime in Texas. It's ridiculous. That, I was about to go there, too. That, now, that is like, a, yeah. well, he's barely spending a dime in Texas. He, he this is a, they describe this as a mid six figure buy. So, uh, you know, that's a pittance. I wanted to get to that, uh, Mark, because there was a piece over the weekend. J. Martin, uh, Jonathan Martin in the Times wrote a piece uh, about the fact that there were, you know, uh, activists who want uh, within the Democratic Party want uh, Biden to play in 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 Texas, Ohio uh, and Georgia and expand the map. How much exactly how much money you're a Texan or a, oh, you, you, you pretend to be. How much? Uh, how much? It's a country, David. There are 19 media markets. You know, most states have maybe two or three. They're 19. And, and my point about that is that if you're winning, if, if you're even close in Texas, that's a 400 plus electoral vote margin you're going to win. That means you're winning. If you're winning in Texas, you're winning everywhere. So keep your eye on the prize. This reminds me of being, you know, I was with the circus the last week of the campaign and I'm following Hillary Clinton around. All of a sudden, she's in Arizona. I'm like, yeah. why in the hell are you in Arizona, for God's sake? Keep your eye on the prize and get to 271. And in fact, Murphy, uh, that campaign ended up spending more money in Arizona than Michigan, yeah. where they lost by 11,000 votes. No, it, 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 this is it, it is a targeting game. I mean, I remember when Rove got chewed up by the California donors for not like you know winning California. You 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 avoid the swamps like that because they're a bad return on your investment. The problem is you do have Texas is a money state for the Democrats increasingly, and the demography is getting better, so it becomes the tempting prize. But look, there's one mega state that counts and that's where they ought to if they're going to blow big money somewhere go to florida you can break they're going to do that florida they're going to do that because that and and you know in in the electoral college math here's a good back of the envelope way to look at it because i know it's a, a headache inducing nightmare for most people but basically you if you win florida 
which is so doable, you only need one other state. You just need to grab a Wisconsin or a Michigan or a Pennsylvania or a North Carolina one or, or an Arizona. That does it. Uh, so th- some of this shiny object stuff. You mean one other state that Trump won? Right. You right. take one away. Yeah. One of Florida plus yeah, Florida, one wins. Yeah, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. Late, if you're crushing them everywhere, and Trump is literally barricading himself in the White House and Don Jr. is running around with an army hat, then you can make a late grab for a collapse at the Georgias of the world. And, you know, you you might win a triple lottery. But now, and I see what they're doing. This is setting the agenda on the COVID thing. Message is great. Uh, And they're doing just enough. They're putting 500, 300 grand into Texas to try to raise 33 million out and to shut everybody up. See, we're playing in Texas. So, you know, they're, they're doing probably what they have to do, but it is it is not. A- no, listen, I think the Biden campaign is doing the exact right thing. They're concentrating on six states, uh, Florida, Nor- uh, North Carolina, uh, uh, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin and Arizona. And, uh, you know, they're being guided by analytics that tell them where they have the likeliest chance to pick up electoral votes. They're going to max out and make sure they have full coverage in those states. And then, as you say, Murphy, they will uh, they will expand out if they have an opportunity late. They'll make a late play. Right. That's the way to do it. Yeah, it could be a little bit of a double reverse, too, to, to get Trump to pump a bunch of money in there, which would be playing big time defense, which he's already doing in Georgia, West Michigan, places like that, you know, where Trump shouldn't have to be spending any money. I will say if they get serious about a state, it it should be of those three. It, it should be Georgia. Georgia yeah. is 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 close and the, cheap and, and it's cheaper than the other than the other. St- Ohio has eight media markets, uh, you know, Texas, uh, as you point out monstrously expensive and georgia was set the stacy abrams race in 2018 uh really set up uh, an infrastructure to make a run but only after you secure right these other states and in georgia you got to trifecta you're playing in a weird double senate race too so if you you could win in a huge prize there for relatively low bucks no but i've i've heard some news that that if i were biden i would be concerned which is Trump now has a secret weapon. The happy Homburg has been sprung. Roger Stone on the loose, pardoned for no defensible reason. Now, disclaimer, Stone's an old friend of mine. I've always had a soft spot for him before he started breaking the damn law. Um, so I recant a little of that. But, but you know, what do we think well, there, about well, that wait, is there is a There is a defensible reason he wouldn't rat on the president. I mean, that's it's very clear that he was the conduit between the WikiLeaks mm-hmm. and the president. He was giving the president tips as to what WikiLeaks was going to do, and uh, he refused to disgorge that. Yeah, no, but that's a defensible reason in the Lucchese crime family, but not in the. No, you know, I understand the that. White no, no, House. I mean, yeah, I'm but, talking, but you're right. I'm you're talking right. Sopranos here. I understand that, but it's sad because this was an egregious act. In fact, Mitt Romney tweeted unprecedented historic corruption an american president commutes the sentence of a person convicted by a jury of lying to shield that very president of course he's right do you think it it moves the needle at all in the race no and i'll tell you what like murphy i i've known roger forever going back to the atlantic city casino (laughs) association when he was working for trump um and i was working for the governor of new jersey dealing with that that uh, nasty trump down in lake city oh my god we're so old yeah yeah right talk about swamps you know but i <laughs> the thing i predicted about 
Roger, which was not difficult, was that he would be the G. Gordon Liddy of this administration, yeah. which is turning out to be totally true. You know, he's going to be the martyr. He's going to go out and have a talk show and sell a bunch of books. And uh, but the but first two things, David. One is for anybody who's been watching this guy or supports him, this is not a surprise to anybody. You know, it's been a you know a mafia operation from the very beginning, so that's no surprise. It's not going to move the needle. I think it's going to cause some trouble though because. Now that Roger's been elevated, he's going to get his hands deep into the campaign now. And I think that's going to cause problems for people who are actually trying to run the campaign. I agree with you there. And in fact, I saw him on, I think he was on Fox last night. He's like a moth to light. He's not going to stay away from this. And there was some interpretation that Trump didn't want him going to prison because he wanted his help in the campaign. And, you know, that wouldn't shock me, honestly, because Trump sees this thing going south. He's losing faith in the he's losing faith in his team. Yeah, he's desperate. And and, and he's the oldest loyalist out there. Yeah. 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 I'll bet he'll go through like eight more. Uh, Corey will be in for an hour and a half stone. Uh, it's going to be a parade of uh, it's going to be I normally don't go to these analogies, but it's going to be like the bunker movies where all of a sudden the barbers head of the German Navy <laughs> because it's just pure, pure panic. <laughs> But, uh, uh, you know, it was it is we should reflect back on the fact that Trump some while back was, you know, lionizing uh, Manafort for uh, for not talking and calling uh, Michael Cohen a rat, which is the language of the mafia. But that's the way he thinks. And you can expect like I expected he he was signaling that he would, you know, pardon or commute Roger Stone's uh, uh, uh pardon Roger Stone or commute his sentence. He, he, and he's sort of intimated the same about Manafort. He certainly will take care of Flynn. They're trying very hard uh, to do that, all either convicted or pled guilty. Um, but I thought it would happen after November 3rd. Yeah, if I were Manafort, I'd announce I'm negotiating my book deal for Canary, my diary of Trump's <laughs> campaign manager, and get stung myself by next Thursday because I'd be pissed. Here I am doing the hard time for the family, and they're letting you know Roger the Weasel out. Yeah, it was interesting that Bill Barr, the Attorney General, was was saying that this was not a good move, which was kind of a rare thing. Yeah, and I saw uh, uh, Weijia Zhang of CBS snuck up on him at a uh, at the White House uh, session on with police yesterday and asked if he had any comments on uh, the stone commutation. And he just put his head down and kept on writing. Uh, so he had nothing uh, to say. I don't know. You know, Barr, he was in the, well, you, I guess he was in the previous Bush administration, but he, he was, but he's another one of those guys that I've just, he, he, you know, I, I thought I, well, no, I didn't think I'd heard good things about him and just, you know, was completely wrong. <laughs> yeah, but this was an aberration, or at least it seems like it was, because he, you know, I think he stuck up for the conviction and the prosecution and said that Stone was a convicted felon and was sentenced properly after he uh, asked that they ask for more lenient sentencing. Yeah, Maybe he had a deal with Trump that he'd get him a more lenient sentence, and uh, and then Trump... Uh, Trump went back on it. Maybe he's worried about lo completely losing his department. Well, he's just, I can't figure him out, so I don't know. That was a, a strange thing. But I, I think we can bet that Stone will be the gift that keeps on giving. You know, it's just going to set the, because uh, he'll talk now about this and away it will go. Dr. Axelrod, Biden. Yeah, you know, it's interesting to me. You, you know what, we know what the Trump strategy is, which is to scare the hell out of everybody that Biden is the the uh, unwitting tool of the left and that he's going to drag the country 
over the cliff. Biden, um, first of all, we've talked about before that he's he's culturally inconvenient. He's not a scary guy. He's an he's an old working class Irish Catholic guy from Pennsylvania, and people don't see him as radical left. And Trump has acknowledged uh, as much. But he also they're making strategic decisions. Uh, he jumped out quickly on the defund police and separated himself from that. He jumped out quickly on the statue issue and separated himself out from people who wanted to, you know, topple George Washington uh, and so on. And he uh, last week he introduced the first of a bunch of economic planks. And it was very, I thought, you know, it was very in the center of a mainstream uh, thinking it was progressive, you know, a lot of buy America stuff, uh, you know, but it wasn't, it wasn't sort of crazy fodder for, uh, for Trump. And the sign of it was that Trump said the worst he could say about it was that he plagiarized him. It's a, it's such a smart move, uh, David and Murph, because the, the only life preserver that, that Trump thinks he has is the economy. And it's, you know, it's, it's sort of traditional and conventional wisdom that if you can win on the economy, the people think you're better on the economy, you've got a, you've got a pretty good shot. And that's been largely true over the years, unless you're at war, you know, I mean, in 2000, we had to pick that lock differently, which shows that you can. And, and Biden, to his credit, has also jumped on that sort of, I want to restore honor and decency to the presidency, which was what we were saying in 2000. But by going at that, you know, build back better message with Biden, he basically takes the only play that Trump had left off the board and it's you know, that's checkmate, really, if he can pull this off. You know, it's funny. I'll be slightly contrarian because I agree with the the premise that Biden is playing to the perception of him, of himself as the reasonable guy. Now, I hate Build Back Better. It sounds to me like a chiropractor slogan. Um, but I understand the I hate the copy. I do understand the yeah, idea behind that's it. That's from a guy who spent a lot of time with chiropractors. So uh, never. I, I went to high school with a nice guy who became a chiropractor, but I, I, he wasn't a genius. So I thought, <laughs> okay, if he can get the white lab coat, I, nobody's putting the the flying hammerlock on me. <laughs> I want to walk again when I leave. <laughs> but but to the point, Biden is playing to the center. However, dear listeners, let it be said now because I don't want angry letters and emails to hacks on tap afterward it is a campaign scam we are they are going to go progressive once they're in government uh this is the democratic thing where you use the right rhetoric to win the election and then you can be true to yourself later so i i i don't want to raise expectations that we're going to have the the great center is joe biden I, I think this is a campaign thing to deny trump traction so it's good and i hope it works but personally i don't believe it all right and let's just note that murphy's punched his card for uh for you know, with his with his old buddy, it, it's not quite that cynical. I just I've seen the Dems run this play. You have too, and actually you've run it a bunch of times. I, I was going to double punch it just by saying, as a pure policy measure, you know, one of the things I hated about Trump was was trying to sell people on the notion that manufacturing was coming back and coal is coming back. So I, I don't like it as a policy prescription to say, you know, we're going to go back to old technology and bring it back. Again. Well, I but, think that I think he actually was saying we're going to new technology and bringing man manufacturing back. And the thing about it is there is now that, you know, we've seen what the pandemic has meant in terms of supply chains. There is there is a, a, a more plausible argument for yeah. particularly in in competitive. Uh, I'm sorry, in essential industries to make sure that we have 
Good point. Uh, our, our own yep. manufacturing. But yeah. just the challenge in policy without going because we're hacks is. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. The way you do it with U.S. labor costs is it's all robots and automated. Um, what we really got to do is get people who bend metal for a living to their, their the next generation to learn other other stuff because otherwise it's robots. Uh, and and we'll see, Murphy. I suspect that Biden, by instinct, is um, is I think he's flying by his instincts now and not just by uh, strategy. But you know, the corporate tax rate they call call for raising the corporate tax rate to twenty eight, which would be halfway between where it stood uh, when Trump took office and where Trump put it, putting the personal tax rate back to the rate under Clinton. These are not like, these are not sweeping and uh, scary measures. And they're uh, virtually everything in there, I think would be widely supported by, by people. But my, my bigger point is they know what they are playing a very smart strategic game right now. They're not giving Trump anything to work with and uh, yeah i agree with this you know that, that they're, is- they're heading them off at the pass though i'll tell you one little other thing and again i got my right wing traditional hat on they're looking at making a big move to wipe out charter schools and whether or not that's just campaign rhetoric uh, for some people or not but that's one where joe ought to know better and it will be a political fight but again it's a bad hint to those of us who are hoping for some sort of centrist alternative to trump yeah well I thought what you were working, uh, what you were playing for, is an alternative to Trump. Well, yeah, that's why I'm voting for Biden. I just, as I, I like to say, I'm going to lease, not buy, you know, because I'm ideologically not on board. But I hope you know, I can even make an argument. That, say, I think he's saying the same thing about you, Murphy. <laughs> no, believe me, I'm arm's length, <laughs> and I like it. COVID, stay away. But I can make an argument that having the R's hold the Senate as bad as they've been by one vote gives Biden more room to maneuver uh, and and gives him a bulwark to not let the progressive Democratic Party just run him over, which I think there's a real risk of. And remember, COVID is expensive. We're spending in real dollars World War II level money, and we're going to pay for that. And, you know, left to center has ideas on how to do it, which are probably to the left of where Biden really is in his heart, but might not have the power. But anyway, got to get rid of Trump, vote for Biden, and then then get ready for pain. A different kind of pain, a better pain than the pain we have now. The habit of you Republicans is that you uh, you get really, really concerned about deficits and fiscal responsibility when there's a Democratic president and not so much when there's a Republican president. But I don't, I do not, I, I agree. We're, we're hypocrites about it. And <laughs> you guys are sophists about no, nobody's health care will rise, only a middle class tax Every everybody beats the truth, but I wish we were more pure on the fiscal side. Well, that's really one of the do. things that concerned me most about Trump at the very beginning was yeah. his whole notion about how much he loved debt. You know, he yeah. obviously <laughs> well, he, he does. Rats ass about it. <laughs> he loves not paying it though. The, the Treasury Department can't default like a Trump casino. So, you guys, I wanted to uh, I wanted also to talk about um, uh, a couple of other things. The big debate right now, because the fall is looming, is school openings. And, you know, there was an interesting poll in the um, in, in Axios this morning that said mm-hmm. that a large, large majority of people uh, uh, are concerned, uh, parents are concerned about the uh, sending their kids back to school. But this is another place where um, where Trump has has really uh, staked out ground and he has, you know, opened up the schools at all costs, much as he was about opening up the country at all costs. But. I have to say, I'm, there also there there is 
good reason pediatricians have said we got to get the kids back to school and there are a lot of desperate parents around is there any play for him here does he set himself up and is he setting democrats up well i think it's one of the few plays he has left david and you know because it's something that everybody desperately wants although as you noted in the polling parents are 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 very cautious about this uh but uh, you know, again, going back to the economy, Trump, you know, they know that in order for the economy to get restarted, you've got to have parents who can go to work and they can't go to work if their kids aren't in school. And so that just doubles down on the problem of the economy. So I think he's just leaning into what people would like to happen. But it's from a policy point of view. I mean, we already have big announcements about like, uh, I think in L.A., right, Murph, they're saying that they're closing them down. Yeah, LA Unified is is going to open online, then TBD going forward. I, I, I agree with what you guys are saying. I think it's kind of a checkerboard deal, though. Where parents are scared, like LA, um, I don't think the Dems are going to be in trouble. One, it's LA County. They can't be in trouble, unfortunately. But it, it where parents are scared, they're not going to want the schools open despite the economic pain, or most of them won't. Where parents aren't so scared, like I'm up here in rural New Hampshire right now. If you said you were closing the schools here, you'd have a pitchfork rebellion. So I think it's kind of a local market thing. So it may give Trump little opportunities in some places uh, and not in others. And that keeps moving. You know, it's just like open the state. That sounded really smart in, in Texas 30 days ago. Now it sounds like the dumbest thing you've ever done. But I think the smart play for uh, for Democrats and frankly, the smart play policy wise is to be on the side of opening schools, but opening schools safely and doing the things that are necessary to opening open schools safely. I thought, you know, Pence uh, stepping out and saying the CDC would, you know, change its guidance because it was too hard um, was, was a, a point of attack, you know. I mean, the fact of the matter is you want, you want to have the experts guide as to how to open these schools so that you minimize the chance of, uh, outbreaks, not just among the kids, but among teachers, among their parents, among their grandparents, and so on. So I think, you know, a little nuance here is required. Hey, you know, I, I also want to talk to you guys about satire and the role of satire. Uh, in, By the way, that, that was the world's greatest hacks on tap transition from deadly pandemic <laughs> and children. But now let's have a few laughs. Satire. <laughs> so, all exactly. Right. All right. So I'm exactly. going for the funny right now to give you a little air to move to the thing. <laughs> all right, Nuriev, what's your big transition? <laughs> well, you know, COVID is no joke, David, but humor humor, humor can be a medicine for all of us, as the great Irma Bonbeck uh, once wrote. So uh, let's right. talk about internet funny people, J.L. Coven, and I'm going to blank on her name, the lipstick queen, who's very funny. Sarah Cooper. Yeah. Sarah, Sarah Cooper. Cooper you, Sarah Cooper has become a thing. Uh, she was a not a well-known uh, comedian, uh, and she started going on TikTok and pantom uh, pantomiming out, lip syncing Trump's craziness, including the one we just heard uh, about his taking the test. And somehow through her facial expressions, and it's devastating. It's it, just devastating. And that's why it works so well. Is because it's Trump and his, it's just Trump. It's Trump in his own words. And same thing with with Coven. I mean, all they are doing, and and the you know the one thing. I mean, Trump doesn't have the sort of typical things that a normal politician would respond to, like shame or whatever it might be. But humiliation is a problem for him. 
people laughing at him is a problem. That's what strikes I the totally core agree. of what hurts and Trump. And I think it's a right? weapon they can do more and more of against him. You go back in history and you think about Chevy Chase in 1976, you know, his depiction of, uh, of Gerald Ford as uh, this yeah. bumbling yeah. guy falling yeah, downstairs right. and all of that. And that was memorable. And that actually, and that actually stuck. Tina Fey's de- Palin, yeah. depiction of Palin. I think, uh, you know, the, the, the Sarah Cooper stuff, you know, has that kind of power. She's not on TV, but this is a digital age and her stuff travels. She doesn't need to be. That stuff's exploding through the atmosphere. It's incredible. It's digital. It goes for free, though. I would give her a little advice. Uh, she should Google Vaughn Meter. Yeah, no, I <laughs> and know. work on the next bit because uh, <laughs> you kids can Google that too, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Yes. It's kind of a tragic story. Now, Calvin is an impersonator of Trump, but his special genius, beyond being able to really do the voice well, is he can he can talk in Trump syntax. So let's listen. You can follow this stuff on the internet, like you can with Sarah Cooper to uh, Comic Jail Calvin. Do I know where I? Well, that's a nasty question. Of course, I know where <laughs> I am. I'm in. Willis Reed Hospital. Willis Reed. Great <laughs> hospital. One of our best. What you talking about, Willis? That's what I say whenever we get here. But it's a great hospital. Of course I know. It's a nasty question. Do I know the date? This is the cognitive questions. Do I know today's date? Of course I know that. You know, I'm not just having... I don't have cognitive decline. I feel like I'm getting stronger. I have cognitive incline. That's what they should be calling it. But uh, do I know the date? Of course, it's June, it's June, July, July, it's July 2020. We don't want to, we're not going to get too much more specific. We don't want the deep state finding out, but it's July 2020, of course. I know the date. It's a ridiculous, sort of absurd question. And I don't really like the July month. I don't like it because I don't think, you know, I don't like saying July. You know, I think they're tough negotiators, they're great negotiators. And as you know, my daughter, my great, beautiful daughter, Ivanka, converted. Okay, she kept her fingers crossed. But, you know, for the purpose of great real estate deals, she converted. And so I don't like saying July. I would rather call the month Tough Negotiators Month, okay? Fantastic. But, you know, all of this, all this underscores the problem with the other element of the Trump strategy, which is to try and uh, disqualify Biden for lack of mental acuity. And the more people focus on Trump's mental acuity, uh, you know, the more difficult that becomes. I thought Biden, when he got asked the question, uh, and let's face it, you know, Biden has never been a precision instrument in in his prime. And so he has his malapropisms and so on. uh, But uh, I thought when he got asked about this uh, the other week and said, I can't wait to match, uh, you know, my uh, cognitive uh, ability against my opponents, um, that begins to actually sting. Uh, you know, I think it, it's sort of offsetting penalties. Yeah. And, and Biden has won the expectations game of all time now, cause we're going to have a cognitive versus cognitive live TV thing, probably unless Trump blows it up, uh, in a debate. And then, uh, I think it's set up for Biden to do well, should he prepare. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, he, he, Trump has, is shining a light on an issue that he's <laughs> that he's not bulletproof yeah, on. And so, yeah. Mike, as you said, it lowers the bar for Biden, raises the bar for Trump. So, McKenna, we can't uh, let a week go by uh, because we are hacks, and this is what hacks do. And uh, to ask you what your thoughts are 
on the Biden VP choice? How much does it matter? Uh, and what what do you think he needs to do? Well, since we all know that uh, Governor Raimondo is a lockdown, <laughs> thanks, to, <laughs> thanks yes. to the so everything else is kind of collateral discussion. I'm off the hook now. I don't have to plug. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, despite what Murphy says, I'm more of a fan of Kamala Harris. I think she's an A-League player. And yeah, there's some issues in the campaign. But I think that uh, I, I, I just think that she checks like nine out of 10 boxes. There's just it, it, it's it's just the uh, not, not only an e- the obvious play, but I think it's I think it's a smart play for Biden. Uh, you know, we're seeing all sorts of flares of other people right now, which I think is the typical sort of thing. You've made your choice, but you're just sort of throwing out some chum in the water right now, uh, and including Karen Bass, who's now getting some yeah some attention. She's the flavor uh, of the moment. Here. Yeah, and Murphy is, a, is familiar with her from being in California, and she's she's a pretty solid, uh, pretty solid office holder from all I hear. She's the one right now shepherding through the uh, police reform bill with. With, with, a, with a lot of success, bringing people from both sides of the aisle. So, you know, if, if there's a problem, you know, somewhere, she'd, she'd be a pretty, I guess, safe bet. She's not well known and hasn't been in the spotlight. So that's a problem. But, you know, I, I've just, I've thought from the very beginning that Harris was going to be a lock, but I also thought she was going to be a lock for the nomination. So what do I know? You know, it's funny, we're getting like hate mail now. Murphy, knock off the Kamala Harris thing, you patriarchal. So I'm not going to go into my screed that everybody's heard a hundred times before, but I will, I'll predict. Uh, I don't think he's going to pick her and I don't think he should. It is interesting that there hasn't been a rallying around her among uh, African-American leaders. Um, You know, it's not like she's emerged as the consensus choice and these other names are surfacing. Uh, It makes you wonder whether he has, you know, questions about her. I, I do think that she is, has to be uh, among those uh, in top consideration uh, by him. But, you know, at the end of the day, nobody knows the job of vice president better than Joe Biden. Yeah, yeah, great point. And, and he knows what he wants. I mean, he is he was he was a great vice president. I mean, I was there. He was impeccably uh, loyal in public and he was uh, unflinchingly uh, honest in private uh, and uh you know, I, the president fe- felt totally comfortable with him and gave him a lot of assignments uh, that were important assignments to discharge. I, I think that's what he's going to want. And one of the things he has. So, to who's consider- the person most like Biden? Uh, Bass, a legislator, all the way low key gets along with Republicans, but not on the national screen, not vetted. I mean, she has a good reputation. Ideologically, I think she's, you know, out of her mind, but that's just me from the right. But she's respected, she's low key, and she is a creature of legislation, which I think would resonate with Biden. I get while she's having a moment now because she is his kind of Paul. The problem for him is that he is also a guy who works off of relationships and he doesn't really have a relationship with a lot of these people. And he doesn't have the opportunity to spend a lot of time with them because of the current uh, situation. So that has to complicate, uh, complicate his thinking. One other element of it is Bass is older. She's 66, 67, 66, yeah. you know, so, uh, and she was asked, uh, uh, Isaac Dovier wrote a piece about her the other day, uh, in the Atlantic and asked her about whether she would run for president in 2024. And she really demurred or 2028. She said, I can't imagine that. I just want to serve. Um, the one thing that you don't want is 
you don't want your vice president running for president from the moment you arrive. Absolutely. And so, you know, that has to be a consideration for him, too. I suspect at the end of the day, Biden's going to follow his gut. And I don't know that he's going to sit there with a political making a, a, you know, a set of political judgments as to who can help him in the short run. I think he's he's going to focus on on the long well run. the good news for him is he doesn't have to right now yeah you know? no and, and there is an argument for don't rock the boat you know oh, totally you, you know not so uh that would point uh you know that would point in the direction of a bass maybe a kamala harris well or a gretchen whitmer or grisham or gia Ramundo, the smart choice to actually run the country win the election and save america let's take a minute to do an ad and we'll be right back You know, Gibbs, every once in a while uh, on Twitter, people will write in and say, Axe, you make me nauseous. But nausea is nothing to joke about. It's like getting stuck in the back of a car and you're kind of a little bit hemmed in and you just you get that feeling and it starts in your stomach. It's not. Yeah. A good and, and, and like you're on your way to something good, a, a celebration or party or something. And now you're nauseous and you can't get rid of it, except there is an answer now. And it's called Relief Band. Tell us about Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. The product is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and provides all-natural relief with zero side effects. Zero. For as long as needed, the technology was originally developed over 20 years ago in hospitals to relieve nausea from patients. But now through Relief Band, it's available to all of us. Here's how it works with Relief Band. It stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach telling you that you're sick. Relief Band is the only over-the-counter wearable device that has been used in hospitals and oncology clinics to treat nausea and vomiting. If you know somebody who deals with nausea, Relief Band makes a great gift. I'm telling you, Relief Band works. We know from our own experience, we sent one to our engineer who often gets nauseous during our shows, and he reports 100% cure. Don't fall for those cheap bands you see in drugstores or on your Instagram feed. All right. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for our Hacks listeners. If you go to ReliefBand.com and use promo code HACKS, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no questions asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to ReliefBand, R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D, Dot com and use our promo code HACKS for 20% off plus free shipping. Hey, should we go to the mailbag? Let's do that. We skipped it last week. Let's play the music. All right, our first question comes from Brian. It's to David. David, a year or so ago, you were a guest on the Bill Maher Show. Oh, you have my condolences. I did it once, still the headache. And you had a disagreement with John Legend. He was suggesting that Trump is and has always been a true racist. However, you seem to believe that Trump wasn't necessarily a racist, but rather just a, quote, racial opportunist. Is that still your view? Uh, or do you believe Trump is indeed a racist at heart? 
First of all, that wasn't a year ago. It was the Friday after the election in 2016. And the point I was making, I was trying to riff off of something that my old late great client, Harold Washington, the first black mayor of Chicago, uh, once shared with me. And I was talking to him about two white aldermen uh, who were leading the opposition to him. And I said, you always go after this guy, but not that guy. And he said, well, because that guy's a racist. He was raised that way. I, I sort of I get him. But the other guy, he's not a racist. He's an opportunist using race, which I think is even worse. And that really offends me. Now, we've had a lot of experience with Trump uh, since then. And I think the reality is if you use race as an opportunist, George Wallace was an opportunist using race. He wasn't a racist. Donald Trump is the same. So was George Wallace a racist? Yes. Is Donald Trump a racist? I'd have to say yes. But I never got to make my point because John and Bill jumped my ass so quickly that I couldn't get the whole point out there. I would never defend Donald Trump, not then or now, on race. But I do think it's insidious because he is so value-free that he uses race uh, and he divides the country for political profit and or for what he perceives as political profit. One of the things that's happening now is it's not all that profitable. And he's driving away a lot of voters who had voted Republican in the past who are uncomfortable with it. Well, the line that I like about that, uh, David and Murph, is that, you know, somebody was asked about that. I said, well, you know, I don't know if he's racist, but racists think he's racist. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I used to think at the very beginning he was racist adjacent. And as David says, a racial opportunist. But watching him operate as president, as he's been elevated, his racism has been elevated which is a vile mix. I believe he is a racist, absolutely. Murphy, Jeff says, do you think the Biden campaign agreed too quickly to the three presidential debates? It seems like Trump needs those debates a lot more than Biden does and that the Biden campaign could have made them beg a little bit. We might do debates if the president asked nicely or at least gotten some terms to take advantage of their leverage, length, format, et cetera, and why not agree to one or two uh, why agree to one, uh, why not agree to one or two, but three? Uh, I should add to this. Tom Friedman wrote a column uh, this week in which he said they should ho- hold off on debates until Trump agrees to release his tax returns, which he obviously won't. It would be a poison pill, uh, and that uh, they until they agree to an official fact checker for the debate, there'll be plenty of uh, fact checking. But anyway, Murphy, what say you? Well, I say this. First of all, Friedman's a friend of mine, but that's a bad idea. You don't want to do the gimmickry and the and the gimmicks and make it a big process fight about what color the podium is. I do believe Biden has more leverage in debates because Trump needs them more. But I think Biden played it right. What they did was preemptively come out for normalcy. We have rules to debates. This is a presidential race. We have a commission. That's what I want. So he has a very defensible position. And Trump will be the guy now saying, if I don't have dream M&Ms in the dressing room and Sean Hannity is not a moderator, I won't come. So Trump can cry baby himself right out of the debates, which is a huge loss for Trump. So I think Biden grabbed the right high ground. He's got all the advantages. He's defending it. And it was the right move. And if he did that, if he if he had a poison pill demand around the debates, especially after he agreed to them, it would look like he was trying to get out of it. And it would lend exactly. some credence to Trump's argument that he wasn't up to it. It would look weak. Right. So I, I think I think Biden is set up for a big win in the first debate uh, because Trump has so lowered, as you guys discussed earlier, so lowered the, uh, the, the, the baseline for him that when he stands up there and, uh, and, and you know, performs uh, well, uh, 
decently, coherently, he will, it will be a huge win for him. And we all know that the first debate for an incumbent president is a disaster. I mean, I <laughs> now we're getting into your dream journal, David. You, you'll still no, wake I, up screaming in the middle of the night. That's my nightmare journal. That's my I call David. Journal. I call David after uh, uh, President Obama's first debate because I remember on his reelect because I remember Bush's first debate after his reelect. I called David. And I said he thought he won, right? He's like, "Yep." Yeah, you know. <laughs> but you know, and here's the thing: presidents aren't used to having people in their grill four, yes. four or five feet away. I guess there'll be oh, six feet God. this time, and uh, and Trump least of all is going to enjoy that. So uh, my, exactly. my bet is on Biden in that debate. As long as Biden prepares and doesn't wing it, and I don't see the Biden of the Iowa caucus, but yes, I think he is set up well. All right, Mark from Kathleen. Have you two distinguished hacks, and I'll add our guest hackaroo, ever encountered members of the same party uh, of a sitting president actively campaigning against him such as the Lincoln Project and Republican voters against Trump. What do you think, Mark? Uh, the answer is yes. Uh, this is not a new phenomenon, but it, but this is the first time that it's been a real phenomenon. Usually, it's just you know a few people who maybe put together one ad, throw it up, spend 150 bucks, and that's kind of it, trying mm -hmm. to get in good with the, the person they think might be president, even though it's it's uh, contrary to their ideological interests. Uh, it's it's uh, they're they're just playing on their on the, their sort of special interests. But the difference this cycle is that we have at least two and maybe more well-funded, strategic, thoughtful uh, enterprises, uh, the Lincoln Project, Republican voters against Trump, uh, that are, are really doing this smartly. And when I say smartly, it means that they're doing what's really important, which is getting inside the president's head and driving him crazy. That's part of it. Um, but I mean, for example, I mean, I know Republican voters uh, against Trump have like nine million uh, online uh, supporters and, and, and activity going on there. But uh, but they're doing smart things like finding Trump supporters from 2016 doing videos uh, talking about how they've changed their mind. And they did one yesterday, uh, this guy named Jeffrey. And I, I can't quote too much of it because it's not safe for work. But there's a lot of frickin' this and a lot of frickin' that. And it's it's very compelling, uh, uh, Michael, to see those s former Trump supporters coming out and talking about how they've uh, changed their mind. You know, the interesting thing about it, because, again, I'm working with Arvat uh, and with Bill Crystal and Sarah Longwell and Tim Miller. Arvat, for those who are uninitiated, are the Republican voters against Trump. And you can check it out at Arvat.org. <laughs> those videos come in. We're up to almost 400 of them. And then the ones that bubble to the top, you know, get pushed out as digital advertising in the five states. But it's not like we've got a big field force trying to talk people into it. It started slow. And now, you know, it's amazing. And if we have any disaffected Trump voters listening, go to make an ad. We'd love to have it. And we got more coming. And they're fun. I mean, the, the, the smart thing about that is you're, you're creating a permission structure for people right, who exactly. are who are troubled or cross pressured. They don't like Trump, but they feel like they have to stick with the party, and when they see their peers uh, articulating what they're feeling, um, I think that yeah. helps loosen up some Gives folks. them so, cover, exactly. And there's a whole other one uh, starting up now, which are alumni of 43, of right. George W. Bush. Last call. So I have one. We have a uh, primary today. By the time uh, many listen to hacks, we'll know what the result is. But it looks like uh, uh, Jeff Sessions is going to go down with you guys. I, I defer to my re Republican friends here, but it would, wouldn't you be surprised if, uh, 
if uh, Sessions were to win that race? I called around the great state of Alabama, and again, embarrassing footnote, uh, who do you think Sessions' media consultant was in his first race? Mike freaking Murphy. I know, I know. So I've been paying attention to this. <laughs> That's why he won, but he's not there now, right? <laughs> no, nope, not. And uh, the 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 view of the Alabama political cognoscente is indeed that Tuberville's going to win, although Sessions has been able to show a little offense on him in the last two weeks on television off a New York Times story about some bad investment thing that Tuberville kind of stupidly stumbled into. But yeah, I put my money on on him to win. Donald Trump says Lou Saban is going to be a big factor. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, the problem uh, there is, uh, the, the reason I bring this up is because people always say, well, why are these Republicans sticking with Trump? Um, and the fact is uh, that Trump has still has some juice. I mean, Tuberville's there because Trump, is, he is an instrument right. of Trump's wrath. And he's punishing uh, Sessions for, uh, you know, for accusing himself as attorney general and and that led to the Russia investigation. But Republicans see their own uh, situations in primaries in their states, particularly in red states. Uh, and they don't want to they don't want to poke the bear. Though there are a few Texas primaries that are kind of interesting on the congressional side. And, you know, we've had a couple of flukes where the Trump guy doesn't win. So it looks to me like the grip is loosening. But Sessions, as you say, is uh, on the cover of what happens when Trump tries to screw you in a Republican primary magazine. Exactly. You can subscribe uh, online. <laughs> yeah, just go to rvet.org. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, so I have a very quick one. I'm going to do a podcast plug. Yes, the X-Files on iTunes and all platforms. Excellent. But also, my pal Misha has a funny, uh, uh, smart podcast in Australia, David. Australia. It's called Diplomates. Get it? Mates like Australia. Diplomat. Diplomates. And it does global uh, policy. And he's a big fan of the podcast, has been plugging us down under. So I was happy to. And we uh, come on uh, the Diplomates podcast, and we, we had a great chat about American politics and foreign policy. So check it out. I'd like to throw out a little uh, shout out to Bruce Melman. Uh, yeah. And he, Bruce, mm -hmm. uh, served in the Bush administration. One of the smartest guys in politics, policy that's out there and the, and the intersect, intersection of all those things. And he just, he does a kind of a quarterly prognostication about kind of the world and culture and politics. That's so smart. He put out one today, and there's a graphic uh, that's really stunning. And it's about the four uh, concurrent super disruptors. And he describes those as being uh, the, uh, a potential recession, pandemic, mass protests, and uh, intense elections. And since 1900, only three of those things have happened at the same time. This is the first time since 1900 when all four are in play. And of course, is drives up our concern and angst. Leave you on that positive note. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, upbeat. Well, look, let me, I forgot one plug here in my card and I can't forget it because also check out Perry May. This is the shameless plug episode. Perry Mason on HBO. Why? Well, it's great, wonderful performances by a lot of people, including John Lithgow. But the last episode was directed by a Hacks on Tap super fan from Paris, France, the French Republic, our great ally. My friend Denise Gamzier Gervin, who's a tremendous director, check out her movie Mustang sometime, uh, was a, a, a French uh, nominee for the Academy Award. So she's a big fan of the podcast and a tremendous director. Oh, good. I'll go dial that up tonight. <laughs>
You got any other things to plug here, Murph? Uh, Murph well, actually, we say goodbye? The, <laughs> no, I'm done. I'm done. I, I, I'm plugged out. All right, guys. We'll see you next week, guys. Okay. Thanks, Mac. Mark. Great to be with you. Kick it hard, guys. Okay. Carry on regardless. Hey, wait, wait, wait. Before you go, when is talk about the circus? We start back the second week of August. And, uh, of course, we're not sure what we're covering or how we're going to cover it, but we will be there in full circus mode covering the madness because the circus has never stopped exactly well it'll be well worth watching so thanks for being with us buddy we'll see you soon all right thanks man see you pal 